and uh, so I don't ask on air, swearing or not swearing? No swearing. Okay, I will be, please remind me if it comes out. <laughs> I needed to know that ahead of time so I could aim for a target. Yeah, we are a, we are a family-friendly podcast. Okay. As I say, maybe not of interest to children, but if they're in the room, they won't hear anything offensive. There we go. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and this week we are back into the comforting arms of the Berenstain Bear Scouts chapter books. I know we've been bopping back and forth between chapter books and first-time readers. We're back to the chapter books, we're back to the Bear Scouts, and we're back to several topics that the bears seem to revel in exploring. We are back to ghosts, we are back to deforestation, and we are back to the iffy legal position that Ralph Ripoff seems to enjoy within the confines of bear country. Now, this is a whole lot of topics for me to tackle by myself. And so, for this episode, I have brought on a man who is perfectly versed in dealing with potentially supernatural things that rampage through dark and gloomy forests. You know him as one of the hosts of Kill by Kill, a Friday the 13th podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Patrick Hamilton. Hello, Patrick. Hi. Well, uh, I'm so happy to be here, everybody. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you on my show. I started to welcome people. <laughs> it's just mu- muscle memory at this point. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm in front of a microphone. I better start welcoming Oh, no, no. Guys. Yeah, I'm in charge. Uh, th- this is what happens. <laughs> well, you're in my world now. That's right. You're bear deep in filled bear world. <laughs> no longer are we in the haunted supernatural uh, confines of Crystal Lake. We're in the pseudo haunted confines of the spooky old forest yeah there there's a lot to discuss once we get to that section but you yeah. have to get to it first and there's there's a lot of mishigas that happens in between there sure is so patrick before we start talking about the book itself tell me a little bit about any possible history you have with the berenstain bears well, I didn't necessarily grow up with them as something that I consumed. I was aware of them. I certainly saw posters for them in my elementary school library mm-hmm. that I haunted for uh, Universal Monster Books and oh. Choose Your Own Adventures. But they were a little too young for me when I became more of a rabid reader. And so I sort of missed out up until the point I had my child, my ah. Ollie. And uh, then uh, the sort of first reader books sort of came uh, along the ride of things that we would check out of the library and whatnot. Um, He enjoyed them, but it did bring up a lot of questions as to how these particular bears operated. He was very concerned about their toes, um, that they were claw-like, and Mm -hmm. how would that work with clothes? (laughs) <laughs> and I couldn't necessarily answer those questions. That is why this show exists, specifically to answer those exact questions. <laughs> it, it is uh, fascinating, They're, the whole mythology behind them, because it, it seems very simple. You have uh, a sort of hamlet in a wooded area, a very you know old-fashioned town, only instead of people, it's bears. Mm-hmm. But also... 
this is a crazy town, the way it <laughs> operates in terms of where, where the power structures work. And, you know, it, I, I have questions. Yeah. Well, it's always it's always been like uh, an extended universe created by a couple of writers who had very specific knowledge of certain areas, but not necessarily knowledge of like how a actual community functions once you get down to the nuts and bolts of it yeah so you have people in authority who are taking on responsibilities they may not always in real life have to take on <laughs> yes there, there seems to be be a, a a commune sort of structure where yeah they're all operating as a group they're obviously bringing each other into the conversation about things that affect one another this is a good thing but it also seems like it has not stopped them from ceasing these uh, bad actors who mm. are t constantly taking advantage of them. And this is a prime example of how their authority structure doesn't seem to help them long run. <laughs> well, let's talk about this book. So the title of this week's book is The Berenstain Bear Scouts Ghost versus ghost from 1996 i was in college by this point uh and well why don't you just give us a little rundown of what this book's about well conceivably <laughs> this is supposed to be a um a journey into the dark forest and the thing that you are afraid of is not actually something that's frightening you got a bit of a scooby-doo sitch happening mm -hmm. here um but to get to that point where the bear scouts go off, and first of all, I, I, I guess what they can't be called Cub Scouts legally. I think so, or it would be redundant. Yeah, but so is Bear Scouts. Bear Scouts is also true. redundant. <laughs> it doesn't alleviate that problem. Right, I um, guess that's true. <laughs> but we have a lot of internal conflict within the, uh, you know, the the younger set of the bears uh, between brother and sister and their counterpart friends yes. uh, who all speak in the same voice. Of course it, they do. <laughs> no, what's everyone a, speaks as if they're this? one person given different personalities. Well, every single one of these bear scouts books and this is like a little, like is almost every single one of these is based on a pre-existing story from the history of the Berenstain Bears. Either it's an expansion of like a shorter book or it's an adaptation of the uh, the Saturday morning cartoon show, uh, specifically the Bear Scouts books. And what they've done in most of these cases is taken books where the two main characters are brother and sister and then tacked on Freddie and Lizzie and just sort of divided up the parts. Yeah. And yeah. it shows. Because otherwise they wouldn't be able to express all the emotions that they have to say. They have, like <laughs> I have to say I'm scared, and someone else has to say you shouldn't be. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not inconceivable for for young you know kids to have friends and whatnot. It's just that they're not fully defined in terms of their voice. Like he doesn't. There doesn't seem to be an effort to give everyone super individual personalities. Whereas I felt that in some of the early Raider stuff that I read to my kiddo when, when he was a lot younger, that there was individual voices for it. They did have more f defined personalities. So that was a bit of a change. Well, it's also something that I've noticed in the Berenstain Bear Scouts series, because the other chapter book series, just the big chapter books, they do have far more defined personalities. Freddie is 
is a is a is a sort of irritating know-it-all. Mm-hmm. Lizzie is kind of super relaxed and sort of in touch with nature, and Sister is the more like physically uh, like she's more willing to like sort of jump into things with both feet and then brother is kind of the passive like let's scope things out and i'll think about things he's very thoughtful but then the bear scouts books came along and they're just all kind of he's like one two three four kids yeah <laughs> well, pretty so, much it, yeah speaking of these well i was gonna say speaking of these one two three four kids what, what what's the what's the this is a 16 chapter book and it's the 15th chapter that's called ghost versus ghost yeah it's a it's a lot of built. Well, this is not untrue. For speaking of universal monsters, to bring that back into the conversation, I mean, the ultimate beginning, you know, universe as it were in this cinematic universe age was the universal monsters. Mm-hmm. In Frankenstein versus Werewolf, they fight for thirty seconds at the very end of the movie, and then there's a cave-in. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot of build up to ba- basically the same kind of payoff we're getting here. So I think most kids are are used. It's only recently that we weren't being ripped off oh. <laughs> when someone says, "Hey, all of these characters you love are all going to be in the same movie." Um, it's a more recent phenomenon to be satisfied, or at least attempt to satisfy. Uh, so yeah, a lot of this is build up. A lot of this is laying you know pipe, as it were, for yeah. this eventual thing. But in if we were to compare it to Scooby Doo generally that the gang finds themselves in the middle of a mystery. They just wander into town hungry and (laughs) looking for adventure. And they find it because they happen upon an abandoned mine or that's the old Adams house or whatever here. So much of this is set up and you can't do this unless (laughs) perfect. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Unless people are so well defined by their names here, unless you get the professor to go with you, and then finally, finally, they're like, "We're gonna do the survival thing in the middle of the wilderness." Quick, grab the grappling gun. What? Yes. Wait a second. You're supposed to go out there with a sleeping bag and a cup, and you've <laughs> yep. got a grappling gun? Now, now, now. Okay, so the Bear Scout Handbook says that in order for them to get their wilderness survival badges. They have to go out there with just like a sleeping bag and like a knife and a bag of salt or whatever. It never said anything about what actual factual is able to bring, which is his truck and all of his equipment. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think that makes the parents feel better because I I don't know that I want my children. First of all, it's ridiculous for children of this age to expect them to go out into a forest for 24 hours and eat. Well, I think they make that clear, though. Wood bark. Scout leader Jane is like, no, under no circumstances are you doing this. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, And then you add into it all of the bad actors that seem to be swarming around them, including what is set up in the book. And, of course, I have not read all the other ones, but it is presented here like, you know, Ralph is a constant thorn in in the the town's side who is only held at bay by this group of scouts. Which so seems Ralph, to me to be a bad, you know, are they the first responders of this town? <laughs> Ralph is interesting. So he's in like a ton of these books. He's like he was created for the cartoon, voiced by the uh, the inimitable. Uh, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Who's the guy who does every cartoon voice? Um, oh, Frank Welker. Frank Welker. Aha! 
the inimitable Frank Welker, who does almost every supporting character in the original cartoon. He's doing a he does a bad WC Fields for uh, <laughs> for for Ralph Ripoff, who is called Raffish Ralph in the cartoon. They changed him oh. for the books because kids don't know what Raffish means. Uh, <laughs> is that he, like rapping Ronnie? <laughs> no, Raffish. Oh, Raff, oh, Raffish. They they said they said uh, Raffish. Yeah, sure. Um, so they uh. He he is he's like the he's like the the accepted local con artist who is always trying to get one over on Papa, but he's got this like side to him that pops up in the books where he's like, I will rip you off, but I won't hurt you, <laughs> and I would never do anything to hurt a cub. Is his thing? He was like, I love the cubs, I will rip everyone else off, I will literally try to swindle the local hospital out of all of its money in order to like to to not like give up my my crooked ways. There was a book in which uh, Ralph Ripoff was uh, attempt. They were his his co-conspirators attempted to murder him uh, by drowning him in the river. And the Cubs actually thought he had been murdered. And the co-conspirators were arrested for murder. And it was only later that he came back uh, alive and well. But there was a literal murder plot in in one of the books. So this. Yes, the Cubs are the first line of defense against every bad actor in Bear Country. I mean, I will say this. Ralph is obviously acting in a pre-Yelp world. Yes. Because everyone has to communicate the fact that he is constantly taking my money. But here's the thing. Like, there is a once-bitten, twice-shy you know, meter that is not being met here. Mm-hmm. Because if he is constantly ripping off all of and his name is <laughs> Ripoff. Which should be your first... I, I know, it's a kid's book. They have to be sort of obvious about who is the quote-unquote villain, or at least who is acting against our protagonist. But it, it's a bit much. That, that being said, uh, during the pajama party cram session, which yep. to me has a very different connotation, <laughs> um, when the scouts you know listen in on their parents and learn that this group this vigilante justice crew is about to quote unquote tar and feather and drag ralph out on a splintery rail Mm -hmm. first of all tar and feathering is not something that has zero connotations to it nope it has a bit of a history so Mm -hmm. that was interesting secondly where are they putting that splintery rail (laughs) Um, that would certainly cause a question from my kiddo so (laughs) So for listeners listeners who haven't read the book they literally do have a town meeting where they call to not only drive ralph out of town but like you said to literally tar and feather him and ride him out of town on a rail yeah Uh, because they are they are they are for some reason at this point done with him i would hope so I don't know what like brought it to a head this time. He tried to steal the money from the local hospital and they were like, ah, he tried to he he conspired with a group of underground weasels to overthrow bear country at one point, And they were like, oh, Ralph. Well, everyone does. I mean, everyone would want to maybe secretly deep down. They've all wanted to steal money from the hospital. And it's only their lack of cunning and guile that has held them back at this point. We also but, know that the bears in bear country are not it's not difficult to get them 
riled to a violent state. They they have in many in many situations have gotten worked up to the point of literally grabbing weapons. So <laughs> this mean, is also not unusual in the chapter books. They, it's practically Springfield. I mean, it, it is. I mean, and this is maybe in because 1996. It's not like they would have been uninformed by the existence of Springfield's perchant for right. picking up pitchforks and torches and storming the downtown town square. So it's, it's it is and I wasn't quite sure who I was supposed to be rooting for, like the scouts or the adults <laughs> who keep buying faulty goods from a known con man or con bear. Right. <laughs> Well, the, the scouts take it upon themselves to save Ralph's life yet again uh, by by making striking a bargain with him. Yeah, they come to, they decide there's no way they're going to let their parents go through with this. This would be akin to in the Nightmare on Elm Street universe if the kids had heard <laughs> that the parents were going to uh, dispose of Freddy Krueger because he had escaped justice and had decided to go to Freddy and go, Listen, if you don't cut this out, they're coming with torches. <laughs> and <laughs> that's as wild as this sound, Ralph in his broken down houseboat responds to this in sort of a teasing like, hey, I might threaten you. Hey, I'm going to tell you not to go in the woods for a nondescript reason. Hey, this cane I have might contain a sword. It might not. <laughs> that was a weird threat. Yeah. <laughs> It's really hard. In some of the other books, he's very easy to read. It's like, oh, he has an affection for the children, or like, oh, he's just a he's just a gas bag who like steals a few bucks here and there. But in this one, I'm like, he's malevolent towards the kids. Yes, and, and I don't know if that's in response to actual factual being in the house, yeah. where as if it was only the kids, he would respond a certain way. But he also has. Zero compunction for openly lying or setting them up for a fall with an adult there also. So, I mean, the guy's pretty fearless. So I asked, this, I asked this question in the last episode to my guest, and I'll ask it to you. When you were growing up, did you have in your neighborhood a scientist you could just turn to? <laughs> no. Was that a that thing that I missed out in my town? I think it's one of those bygone era ideas mm -hmm. that you had a a mr science yeah. at the ready that you could you know and listen i i i lived in glendale california i you know pasadena is the ho the home of of several lab laboratories and and places of serious scientific uh, exploration and i couldn't name you one scientist that lived <laughs> near me that I could reference or drop by and go, hey, we're going to go off to the wilderness. Yeah. Why don't you be a part of this for us? Obviously, you know science. So yeah. obviously you can survive in the wilderness. <laughs> and to a degree, he does. I mean, he's the one who fill, fills them full of ideas of gummy bugs, which he seems to think is going to be great. But I just don't. I think he's really overselling the idea of gummy bugs. And I've, I've eaten a scorpion, and that was cooked, and it was still unpleasant. Was, but it was not out in the wilderness. No, it was not out in the wilderness. It was on a, a, a street It was street food in, in Osaka, Japan. So they make a bargain with Ralph, which is, well, it's like if, because he says you guys would never be able to stay the night 
mm-hmm. in these woods because they're super creepy and haunted. Right. And they're like, if we survive the night, you have to straighten up your act. <laughs> and he's like, if you don't survive the night or make it through the night, what does he get? Oh, they have to clean as a house. Yes. Yes, because we are we are given a, a full page description of what a ramshackle mess his riverboat. He's he's living in a what is described as a broken down houseboat. Yes, on the river. Um, parrot. Just just not to put too fine a point on it. Uh, and this is not a written contract. This is a handshake deal with a guy named Ralph Ripoff. So. And it doesn't address at all the fact that the town is literally going to murder him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you I, I, listen, I don't think you live through tar and feathering too well. No. Especially when I, you're covered in fur. Yeah, Uncle, yeah. <laughs> so, so they make this deal with him. And, of course, this book being this book, they can't let... They can't let what happens at the end be a surprise. <laughs> So you 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 see you know that actual factual you know that Ralph Ripoff has like a plan in his mind. Yeah. And so they immediately show actual factual witness Ralph Ripoff putting his his devious plan in action. Right. So in an effort not to give the end of the book away, they pretty much tell you what's going to happen at the end of the book. Right. There is yet another twist that we'll get to that Oh yeah. really I was thrown for a loop by. Um, But Ralph's plan is, you know, in typical Scooby-Doo fashion, is to grab a mask so that he might frighten the kids out of the forest and therefore get that free houseboat cleaning that he's always wanted. Which he could probably Uh, pay for with the the complexity of the costume he rents. And it's a yes. full body like monster costume. He probably could have just paid someone to clean his house. Um, the 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 ghost costume is described as it wasn't plain vanilla. Like okay, <laughs> yeah. and then later we're shown a picture of what it is, and uh, folks, it is a werewolf costume. There, I, I don't remember a lot of ghosts that have noses and bloody teeth. Uh huh. And uh, bulging eyes. That's that's it, like a werewolf. Just call it a werewolf. Why is it a ghost? It doesn't you know look it like any ghost I've ever seen. With the tongue hanging out, it reminds me of like Japanese ghosts, like the <laughs> okay. like the the like a yokai demon, like a <laughs> like one of those like just like things you'd see in like Japanese like old Japanese art. Like mm-hmm. maybe that's what they're going for. Yes. It's oh. pretty intense. Yeah. I, well, it it is, like the book says, it is not a plain vanilla ghost costume. It is not. <laughs> uh, and everyone is informed that this is going to happen. And yet when he, you know, lurches out at them in the middle of the night, they all react like they have no knowledge that this was going to happen. When they were all informed it was going to. <laughs> yeah. So that's comes- how scary this mask is, people. While they're heading, while they're heading out to the uh, to the area, and 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 it's a it's an extremely difficult place to get to is kind of the point. Like they, no one even thought they'd be able to like cross the river. Right. And uh, that's where the that's where uh, actual factuals grappling gun comes in. Yes. Blam! <laughs> the explosion sent the grappling hooks and their tail of rope clear across the river and into the trees on the other side, and they like pull themselves across again on a motorized raft. Yes. I mean, this is. 
I can't even imagine where where you would store this. Like yeah. the idea that you would just have a grappling gun, hooks, rope, and this inflatable raft and the motor to take you across this river. Well, they just... load up actual factual square square van. <laughs> it's it, you see it, you see it in the picture. There's this like cannon with a grappling hook on it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we shouldn't hold it to a, a you know a a real realistic of course uh, <laughs> level, but it, does but it to... did surprise the hell out of me that out of nowhere on this you know what up until this point had been a very library based wilderness survival mm-hmm. tale uh, that all of a sudden grappling guns come out. <laughs> well, it says it says the scouts were traveling light. Each scout had one Bear Scout uniform, one Bear Scout sleeping bag, one Bear Scout axe, and one collapsible metal cup. The professor, who was not bound by Bear Scout rules, was loading <laughs> gear into the science mobile. But they're benefiting from his, his yeah. ability to flaunt the rules, which tells me that this should negate this as an activity. I, I myself, while I did not go through the Bear Scouts, I was... In Boy Scout, I uh-huh. was the third youngest Eagle Scout at the time that I achieved the rank, the oh. third youngest in all of California. Oh and goodness. the only reason that I showed that level of fortitude and drive was that I never wanted to go camping again, and I never wanted to wear that uniform in high school. And that was all <laughs> the motivation I needed to get out of Boy Scouting by just achieving the top rank and then go like, there's nothing left for me to do, clapping my hands and walking away as fast as I could. See, and I never made it out of Cub Scouts. You're lucky. Because all my, all my <laughs> friends started dropping out because we were going to have to wait too long to go camping. Mm-hmm. I dropped out because of the imminent threat of camping. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, if I stick with this long enough, I'm going to have to go outside. <laughs> Outside is overrated. It's certainly yes. overrated when the only thing between you and outside is a tent. Um, oh. And listen, for those who love camping, love what you love. I'm never going to stop you from that. My, my wife loves camping, and I put up with it because she loves it. But <laughs> I'll tell you right now, I would rather do anything else. Right. There's bugs and Jasons out there. <laughs> it's littered with them. <laughs> this place is lousy with Jasons. <laughs> So, we get the my biggest disappointment in this book is the fact that chapter 12 is titled The Great Lodgepole Pine Massacre. Yes. And I was really thinking there was going to be a massacre because at this point you may not be surprised Patrick to hear that there have been actual massacres covered in the chapter book series. What? We've had stories of highwaymen murdering <laughs> bears in in their in their like in their like legends of like the great bears of bear count country history like we've we've heard of like their civil wars and we know that there are massacres so when i saw the great lodgepole pine massacre i was like oh this is gonna be this is oh boy a little more bear country history but unfortunately it's not that kind of massacre i am all blinking gifts right now (laughs) at the very thought of a deep and bloody bear country history. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is full of tragedy and murder and greed. <laughs> oh, great. I oh, mean, it, not it, that it, kids don't need to learn it eventually. i just not entirely sure that I want them to learn it through the medium of bear country. But, you know, what are <laughs> well, you going to you know. do? Kids, <laughs> kids should read. The more so, you know, star. 
Yes. So tell us about this Great Lodgepole Pine Massacre, because it, it comes into play in the uh, end of the book. Well, th- this threw me for a complete loop, because I obviously it's aiming for one thing, and then this just sort of stops the book altogether. And my for, my my notes were, this is a deforestation scam? <laughs> like, how... This is this is why Ralph wanted to scare them away in a you know this is obviously this provides motive now beyond the houseboat cleaning but then I'm like well how is this one guy in a broken down houseboat hauling these lodgepole pines back to the back to town it like how do you make money as one dude chopping <laughs> down giant trees? I just don't wasn't sure how that translated into dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. Um, it turns out we have a completely different set of villains at play in this book. Yep, and we're getting to them. <laughs> Before we learn their identity, however, we discover that all of the bears want to drink raw water, which is very topical. <laughs> Um, and if we've learned anything from our recent raw water adventures oh yeah that's a bad idea it's a bad idea but they're gonna get so lean and cut man it's gonna be insane (laughs) that's what dysentery does to you man you get ripped they're uh told not to do this yes uh i also have the note this reads like the exact reason i got out of boy scouts so we've covered that um and then uh, then Ralph, is this when Ralph leaps out as a ghost slash werewolf slash Japanese yokai demon of the wind and ghosts for us? Yeah, so they build their, uh, they build a lean tube and then they sleep outside. Yeah. Uh, actual factuals like collecting evidence about the lodgepole pines. <laughs> bear Country CSI is on the job, so thank goodness for that. He's literally the only bear in Bear Country that like knows how to use like deductive reasoning, so because <laughs> all the police are there all the police are there for is to like swoop in at the end uh, yes yeah they've he's taken a radio so they're like yeah. basically he's saying hey go out into the forest with these small children you're our bait yes. that is not how police should operate and, that uh, is not police procedure as far as I'm aware well apparently we found out I think in the last in last episode uh that the police chief of the town, police chief Bruno, makes the laws. So, because one of the people was like, well, my father's the police chief. I could talk to him about getting a new law instated. And I'm like, I don't think that's how it works, but maybe in bear country? I mean, I guess it's it's really more of a commune than it, I mean, maybe it really is a country. That right. <laughs> Because they really are making things up as they go along. so <laughs> In more ways than one. In more ways than one. So they're the bait. Uh, actual Factual has brought along his own mask that he bought, that he rented from the store. It's a giant tiki face. Not very scary. <laughs> Not very scary. It does apparently frighten the living hell out of the kids. Yes. Uh, who you, did, then... you do get a great picture of them all. In a panic pile. Yes, a panic pile. But there's a reason because now a third ghost has entered into this. What looks to be like some sort of elephant Cthulhu. Yes. 
um, is also on the other side. So they're getting it from every which way. Yeah, uh, three-headed gob like forest goblin. They do describe the witch doctor. The witch doctor as the the scariest ghost yet, which I think is wrong. Unless there's a big voodoo contingent in that town, which I might yeah. not be aware of. Yeah, it does. It does come across as like a little. A from the drawing, it's not the scariest. It's uh, no. and B, it's like are they maybe they're just afraid of like strange cultures. <laughs> but what, but there's this three-headed, multi-tentacled yeah. tree creature straight out of it conquered the world coming out of them, and they're like one kid is like oh that's not for me, while the rest of them are scared witless by this witch doctor ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe their their heads were filled of that with that uh, witch doctor love potion song that the the pre chipmunks guy did. Ross Bagdasarian's witch doctor. That one. Well, regardless, it doesn't take long for the for them to accidentally lose their tree monster costume. No, it doesn't. And this is where we finally discover that Ralph really does have a sword inside that cane. So he really was threatening those kids with a sword cane. Because who is beneath the three-headed tree monster? The Bog Brothers. The Bog Brothers! We weren't (laughs) expecting them to rear their ugly heads again. They're described as Bear County's public enemies one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. So that places Ralph at four, I guess? He's not even top of the heap there. Uh, Two, Actually, all three of them are holding chainsaws underneath their costumes yep. so they are being scared away by a guide with a sword and they have three chainsaws they were not scared he oh, cut their right. suspenders their pants fell down and they were so embarrassed they dropped their chainsaws <laughs> that is quite a gambit that ralph <laughs> is playing <laughs> A, a, a gambit never played in any of the many Chainsaw Massacre-based movies that have come out. No. If it never occurred to anyone to simply pull down Leatherface's pants yeah. and see if he dropped his chainsaw. No one tried this maneuver on Victor Crowley uh, nope. from that film series. <laughs> no. This is a, an, it doesn't uh, come up in pieces at all. Nope. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so this is a, and not in a... Oh, what's the movie where the guy kills the other guy with a chainsaw? Is it Scarface? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but that's in a bathtub. It's that in is a true. very city setting. That's that's so, right on you know, Ocean like, Boulevard. But still, a little pantsing, maybe it would have happened. <laughs> I'm just saying. That this depends the, on whether is... or not they have shame. And apparently the Bog brothers have no shame when it comes to to nature's beautiful bounty. But they no, do cause... when it comes to their own bodies. Yes. Well, this is the Scooby-Doo moment you were talking about, too. Yes. The they, big reveal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all revealed, and then uh, the, the police are called, and um, who is Officer Marguerite? Was that the first time that character was ever mentioned? Oh, no, she's in, she's in many of the books. Okay, well, but when Chief Bruno was 
was talking, to, you know, was regaling Ralph Ripoff very early in the book. I don't remember Marguerite being talked about. So. Oh, yeah. She always just pops up whenever the police come rushing in and there's Officer Marguerite. Oh, she's in charge of cuffing. Yep. She throws the book at them. <laughs> That's right. She's the muscle. I get it. <laughs> yeah, pretty Bruno much. Bruno is the brains. She's the muscle. I'm <laughs> perfectly fine with this. Actually, I'm behind it 100%. And so the Cubs get their merit badges. They, they win their bet with Ralph Ripoff. Yes, but, I mean, has the morning risen at this point don't they by the very nature of the fact that they had had to be rescued by other people negate this agreement because you know later on we learned that they have cleaned up the houseboat to the point in which a magazine wants to put <laughs> this houseboat on the cover of their magazine and i i don't know what the i guess the state of print media was really ripping in 1996 and that's yeah. what made them <laughs> houseboat beautiful houseboat beautiful <laughs> which is kind of the saddest most like 1983 thing i can imagine <laughs> like i have to imagine that when ralph ripoff first got this houseboat it was the coolest thing in bear country. Oh, sure. For, yeah, yeah, totally. He probably had a robot butler. <laughs> he probably dreamed of fighting crime one day. He was like, I'm going to turn myself around, get my robot butler, my houseboat, and solve some mysteries. But because the, the Bog brothers enter into this, does this mean that the scouts kind of have a rogues gallery? I mean, is this on the level of a Batman and Spider-Man where there's it's multiple villains? Much, it's pretty much the Bog brothers... The uh, Bog extended family, because they're kind of like the Beagle Boys. Okay. Uh, there's a, there's an extended Bog family we encountered in one book where they accidentally ended up like on their island. They have like a an <laughs> island out in the Bog. Uh, their so, last name is Bog, by the way, and they uh, live in Forbidden Bog. Okay. So I'm yeah. like, they they were they were they were set up to fail from an early <laughs> age. Uh, but they're they born into have, it. Yes, there's the weasels also. There's this group of weasels who live underground. Mm -hmm. uh, they've only shown up once so far, but they they were they were kind of the bad they were the bad guys in the cartoon. Okay, and well they they're name checked in here. They're described as that Ralph had, had joined forces with a group of underground weasels. Yes, yeah, that's <laughs> which them. I, and, I really uh, liked. They live. They, they literally live in this vast system of tunnels under Bear Country, and no one believes in them except for the cubs who've encountered them and Ralph and like the grandparents because no one ever sees them. They have secret entrances hidden throughout bear country where they can grab people. And in the book we read, they grew a gigantic pumpkin and hollowed it out and filled it with guns <laughs> and were going to use it to wipe bear country off the face of the earth. <laughs> and the cubs managed to stop it by just pushing it off a cliff. <laughs> and they earned their merit badge <laughs> so i think the bear scout merit badges always get cut short on the journey and it just ends with them stopping a major crime and they're like well here's your here's your kite flying badge anyway like thanks for <laughs> thanks for stopping a murderer it is a long way to go yeah. <laughs> to get these merit badges. If I had to constantly stop crime in order to get various merit badges, I would probably still be going after my Eagle Scout to this day. It's pretty prestigious, too. They're the only four Bear Scouts in Bear Country, apparently. So, <laughs> like, they've got a lot to live up to. They're an elite unit. <laughs> yeah. An elite crime-fighting unit. Yes. Well, Ralph ends up becoming the Bear Country's hero, so they do not 
tar and feather him. No. He's described he's as a newspapers. bear about town now, which yeah. is a bit of, I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> now we're overpraising this guy. Like moments ago, you were going to send him out on a splintery rail, and now mm-hmm. he's like, oh, bon vivant, Ralph like, Ripoff. If, if, like, if I had committed arson across the country or like across my city and like burned down some like some like wonderful uh, institutions and vandalized like the the museum and then just happened to like save the president's life mm-hmm. they would be like thank you so much congratulations you're you know like you've done this great deed you're still going to jail though for <laughs> all this arson yeah and museum vandalizing uh-huh pretty much and instead, Ralph is just, they're just like, oh, Ralph, we will forgive you all the larceny. Thank you for catching the Bog Brothers. I guess he defended children and whatnot. And yeah, Actual Factual does. did not bring any additional grappling hooks for that battle, even though he, he knew it was forthcoming. So, <laughs> Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. Didn't put two they, and two together for that one, did you, Actual Factual? And then they get their picture in this pretty snappy, uh, this pretty snappy cover. Oh yeah, and yeah. Listen, Ralph looks natty in that. Uh, he looks like he sells trombones in the music band. <laughs> yeah. No one ever told him that the straw boater went out of fashion. No. And you know what? Good for them. <laughs> he's a, he's a character through and through, and that's it. That is the Berenstain Bear Scouts Ghost versus Ghost. Yeah. Now, listeners may re- recognize, and this is something you might not be aware of, but Ghost vs. Ghost is actually an expanded version of the story, the Berenstain Bears' Ghost of the Forest, hmm. which was a Bear Scouts, like, little, like, simple book, like one of the short books uh, that was about the Bear Scouts going to the forest, which is supposed to be haunted. Uh, Papa's going to pull a trick on them, so he dresses up like a ghost, but Scout Leader Jane is on to him. So when Papa jumps out as a ghost, she jumps out as a scarier ghost with the big mask on. But then mm. a third ghost jumps out. And when they take the, the third ghost's costume off, it's Mama. And she's taught them all a lesson about scaring each other. So the end of Ghost versus Ghost plays out just like the Ghost of the Forest with this sort of escalating layering on of ghosts. And then the final reveal being a big surprise. Uh, they just took it and... Ran with it for 16 chapters. Oh, man. Uh, well, I guess is that, and that one comes after this one, so it's like a return to form? No, that one's an, a much older book. Oh, okay. From like, the, from like the 80s. I covered it like a year and a half ago. Uh, uh, so, yeah, Ghost vs. Ghost was, was a perfection of the, uh, of the art. <laughs> it's, re- it's refining that story down to a, a tight... <laughs> 16 chapter uh, <laughs> tale of wilderness survival in which they don't reach the wilderness until chapter 12. Yeah. It's kind of like when like a novelist, like would someone would write a short story that got a lot of acclaim. And so they would expand it into a novel. Mm-hmm. And you could always, when reading the novel, be like, well, here's the stuff they added. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a premise in search of a plot. Right. So, Patrick, at the end of the day, what did you think of the Berenstain Bear Scouts Ghost versus Ghost? Uh, you know, it was an easy enough read. Um, I don't know. I my plan was to read it to Oliver, my uh-huh. Oliver, and he wasn't into it. 
he he loves a good gentle adventure and yeah I have to say, this is a reasonable, gentle adventure. It just contains a lot of potential violence. Yes. That, um, and I don't think he was a big fan of going through the library's, you know, card system. There's a that, lot of descriptions of the card catalog. Yeah, that pretty much threw him off, and he's we. And I'm like, are we going to go back to this? And he's like, nope. Mm. You can read that on your own, Doc. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right. How old is Oliver? Oliver is seven and a half. Ah. So I would recommend if 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 the the notion of a Berenstain Bear chapter book is still appealing uh, to actually go to the uh, to the actual uh, big chapter book series, which mm. are far more far more relatable. Uh, they have more like interesting characters, I think, and uh, aren't so just like they aren't so committed to just telling a like a mystery story. Mm-hmm. They're more just like here's just kids being kids and like dealing with kid problems. Right. And, you know, starting their own TV station sometimes. And <laughs> doing the do. kind of things kids do. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I would say that Ghost versus Ghost is a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a uh, of a bait and switch. Because mm-hmm. you've got this cover with like four panicking cubs and this spooky font and the two O's are skulls and like you think you're gonna get in for a big supernatural adventure and instead you got this like weird deforestation survivalist story. With a couple of costumes at the end. Yeah, costumes that are signaled in chapter, you know, seven or eight. So right. it's it's not exactly like you don't know it's coming. So Yeah. It's this is I, not an I think easily, they've done better. <laughs> yes, much better. It's not an easily purchasable book either. It's it's out of print. It hasn't been re released as a digital book. So if you buy it, you gotta seek it out and buy it used to get an actual copy sent to you. And uh, I would, I would say, uh, if you're not interested in being a Berenstain Bears completist, you can probably give Ghost versus Ghost a big pass. But Patrick, it was more than fun talking about it with you. Absolutely, thank you for having me. It was a blast. Well, where can where can our listeners find you? Well, uh, they can find us at the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to exploring the least discussed component of any horror film, and that is the characters. So we unpack all the gory details of the Friday the 13th series and other 80s horror film classics in the hopes that a camp counselor's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. We've made it through the first eight, all of the 80s Friday the 13th, and now we're moving on to the 90s, and boy, can you tell... Boy, was that a series that should have stayed in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're, they're delivering something very different. So we're, we're going to view it along those lines and, and see where it comes. But uh, that won't be the end of our journey. Once we reach the end of Friday the 13th, we're going to move on to Nightmare on Elm Street, meet at Jason, uh, that Freddy versus Jason, and the world's our oyster after that. Oh, of course. It's not like you're ever going to run out of slashers. No, we are not. No, that would be a literal impossibility. (laughs) (laughs) They keep making them. Well, and I've been a guest on your show. Yes, uh, a fantastic guest, one of our favorites. Oh, thank you very much. And it was, uh, it is, it is always a a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, If you were looking for more of me, I have a couple of other podcasts. I have uh, It's Del Toro Time, which I do with my teenager Ollie, uh, where we discuss the films of Guillermo del Toro, the films of the people he helped. Uh, whose careers he helped, and also the, the movies that inspired him to become a filmmaker. And I also have a Click It Cast, a Beverly Cleary podcast that I host 
with John McCoy. So it's easy to find me talking somewhere. Uh, once again, Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm glad I was able to finally get you on. Thank you, Phil. I gotta run. All right. I got ghosts on my tail. Oh no, ghosts. Bye. And I will see everyone else next time deep in bear country.